Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Adair. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is, Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were a hundred eighty years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. 
and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is the word of the Lord. Our text today is the remainder of Jacob's journey home. He makes it back to his father Isaac. Now, it starts with God instructing him once again to go, to leave where he is, Shechem, where his family has just devastated the city and killed everyone, and to instead go to Bethel, which is 10 miles north of Jerusalem, and live there, dwell there, make another altar, that would be his second, to the God who appeared to him right there at Bethel when he was fleeing from Esau. So a reminder of 20 years ago, 20 plus. And so Jacob at this point speaks to his entire household. And the words he speaks are both good and bad. Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Why I say this is both good and bad? The instruction is good, right? Put away your idols. Good, you should. Purify yourselves, change your garments. It's almost like getting ready for church, right? That we come to church, we confess our sins to God, we repent of them. So we repent, we, we get cleaned up a little bit, Right? We, we clothe ourselves nicely for church to come into the Lord's house. It's a bit stronger than that for Jacob here, uh, but the idea of cleansing themselves, preparing to be in the presence of God, is basically what he's saying. Be clean, to use language from later in Scripture. But it's the putting away of foreign gods that I want to highlight. It is good that he's instructing them to do it, It's bad that they're even there to begin with. Ask your children this question. Why is Jacob only telling them to do this now? Why not before? As the head of the household, he has control of what happens in his household. He has the authority and the responsibility for it. That his wife has the household gods of her father, Laban, and is worshiping them, that's trouble. It's not good. But it appears she's not even close to the only one doing it because what happens? They gave to Jacob all the foreign gods. His house is rampant with pagan worship. And he's been allowing it up to this point. So now... Now is good. Now is a moment of repentance for him as well. He's recognizing this is not good. He's calling his household to repent and to change their course of direction. This is good. It's just the recognition that this is an admission here that he had not done it before. And so, there's a tree. Moses is noting a specific tree near Shechem where Jacob hid all of these things. Assumedly, somebody might have found them. He did not destroy them, which is also interesting. Why not destroy them? They journeyed, and God protects them. Remember from the end of chapter 34 yesterday, Jacob was afraid of the Canaanites and the Perizzites that lived in the land that they might attack him and overtake him, especially because he's now been made a stink with what Simeon and Levi did. 
But I ask the question, who, who does he trust more, God or the people? Who's stronger? And God does what God does. God protects him here. God cares for Jacob. He never had to fear the Canaanites or the Perizzites. God was with him. And so God brings a fear, a terror upon those peoples, so they leave him alone. And Jacob and his family pass freely. They come to Luz, which is the ancient name for the city of Bethel, which is what Jacob had renamed it himself. So Moses keeping that that pair in front of us at the moment. And we're reminded that he is in the land of Canaan. And this is where he's been commanded to go. And the land that God has promised to give him and will promise to him again here shortly. So now he builds the altar God gave him to build, his second, and names the place El Bethel, God, house of God. That's what that means in Hebrew. So a little redundant because there God had revealed himself to him just as God spoke at the start of the chapter. Verse 8 is intriguing. I'm fascinated by this. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. Now, why is this fascinating? Deborah is first mentioned back in chapter 24 when the servant of Abraham goes to Haran and finds Rebecca to be the wife of Isaac, and he brings her home. He also brings home her nurse, She's not named in chapter 24, but Rebecca does not come without her. Assumedly, this is the woman who helped raise Rebecca from childhood, from her days as just a little kid, has been with her all that time. So she is now old and dies of a much older age because she would have been advanced in years beyond Rebecca. And she's now, for the first time, mentioned by name. The contrast of what makes this so fascinating is Rebecca's death is not mentioned at all. It's just skipped over. We do know she died. We know she's buried in the cave of Machpelah from later on in the book. But at this point, nothing. Her nurse is important enough to have her death mentioned, but not Rebecca. So Deborah gets named, finally. And her death is relevant enough that Moses records it for us. This has something to say about how loved she was within the house. How well cared for she was. And as I reflect on it even now, I'm thinking about the oddity that Deborah's even with Jacob in the first place. She's Rebecca's nurse. She was cared for in Isaac and Rebecca's home. And Jacob hasn't been there in 20 years. Um, as I quickly looked up in the commentaries, just paused and looked them up, the, the thoughts that I found were that perhaps Rebecca had tried to fulfill her promise that she would send word when Esau had no longer hated Jacob, and she sent word via her servant Deborah, her nurse, and so Deborah was with Jacob from that time on. Another possibility is that Jacob had actually learned of his mother's death and visited, went to the burial, and it's just not recorded by Moses. And so having died, and with Isaac being old and advanced in years and Jacob doing well, that Jacob took his mother's nurse to care for her in his own home. Or the possibility could also be that Esau had communicated Jacob's return home to Isaac, and Isaac had sent Deborah along to Jacob to see how he fared, something like that. 
Hard to say for sure, but it is, again, there's a lot here that's of, of note. She's buried there at Bethel, and they call the place Alon Bakuth, which is Hebrew for Oak of Weeping. And God visits with Jacob again. On his way back from Padanaram, the journey's not yet complete. He blesses him. We're given the reminder of the name change from Jacob to Israel, a daily reminder in Jacob's own life as people would call him Israel, and it would remind him that God changed his name, that God had made these promises. That was the attachment. That's why the name has changed. And here's the promises. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come to you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So first, he's God. That's where it all starts. He can promise these things because he's God. Then the command to be fruitful and multiply, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, reiterated again after the flood to Noah and his family. A nation, a company of nations, will come from you. This is a promise that has been made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob already as it got reiterated from generation to generation. Now it's reiterated to him again. Kings shall come from your own body. This was spoken to Abraham and Sarah. Now it's spoken to Jacob. And indeed, 42 of them will. You've got, all, you've got the first three kings of the joined kingdom. That is the united kingdom of Israel before it splits. So Saul David, Solomon. And then you get the split. Rehoboam starts the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeroboam, the northern kingdom of Israel. And if I'm remembering my math correctly, uh, 19 kings reign over each. 19, 19 is 38, plus the 3 is 41, and then Jesus, 42. Then the promised land, reiterated again for Jacob and his descendants after him, that they will be brought out of the land of Egypt and brought home. So Jacob, for the third time, builds a pillar, a memorial stone, a marker, and he consecrates it. He makes it holy by making an offering and pouring oil upon it. He's setting this place apart as a holy place of God, and he calls it Bethel, house of God. So the same place from before. They journey on from Bethel, they're still a ways away from Ephrath, which we learn later is also called Bethlehem. And Ephrathah is another name for it, similar to Ephrath. Ephrathah, which you might recall from the Christmas account, as it's read from Micah 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Ephrathah shows up a few other times in Scripture as well in the Old Testament. So this is one of the names for the city of Bethlehem. As they're on their way there, Rachel goes into labor, a very difficult labor, and in fact to the point where she will die giving birth. There's an irony in this one because in chapter 30, verse 1, she looked at Jacob and said, Give me children or I'll die. Jacob gives her children, plural, right? This is her second son, and in the giving of the second son, she dies. She was not content when her firstborn came. When Joseph was born, she literally named him, he will do again, demanding that God continue to give her more children because she was so busy and caught up in a, a contest of jealousy with her, her sister. And she, unfortunately, uh, 
as sin does, sin takes life. And she dies. The midwife had tried to comfort her, let her know she had another son. So as she was dying, she gave him the name Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. Jacob doesn't let that name stand, however, and calls him instead Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. They bury her there, and that tomb is there to this day. Uh, I found this one also to be quite interesting because this day would be a reference to when Moses writes the book, which is somewhere from 1446, the exodus from Egypt, to 1406 when they enter the promised land and Moses has, has died. How does he know? This is in the promised land. How does Moses know that Rachel's tomb is, de- is still there to that day? He never got to enter the promised land. He never got to see it. This could be, this would be really cool, the spies who go up into the land, that they bring back word that they had come across this tomb during their travel. The more likely thing is that God has simply told Moses. God has inspired the books of sacred scripture, including things that men cannot know. Isaiah tells of the future that 200 years after him, roughly, a man named Cyrus would come to save God's people. And what happens? A man named Cyrus comes and saves God's people. This is what God does. It's his holy word. He can do as he pleases. Rachel is not buried in the family tomb. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah, all buried in the cave at Machpelah, but not Rachel. She's buried here by Bethlehem. They continue on. They go to the Tower of Adair, which is the Hebrew word for a flock. Um, So the idea that uh, shepherds might build a tower that they could use to see where a sheep might have wandered away if they can't see them from the ground, or when an enemy or prey, predator situation might be at hand. Nowhere else in Scripture does the phrase Tower of Adair show up, so it's hard to place this on a map for you. While they're in Canaan, Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine, his father's lesser wife, Bilhah. It's the first time Bilhah or Zilpah has had that word attached. In fact, Zilpah doesn't, but this is their equivalent. Uh, So they're both concubines, lesser wives, wives of lesser status, secondary, however you want to phrase it. Reuben sleeps with her, has sex with her, and Jacob learns of it. And because of this, Israel will remove the family inheritance from Reuben. This is what cost Reuben his firstborn inheritance. Chapter 49, verse 4, Dad specifies it. Had Reuben waited as the inheritance, he would have also received his father's remaining wives. Not necessarily to be his wives. Although if they were not his mother directly, had he wanted to, I guess he could have taken them as wives at that time but he could have also simply taken them into his home with the responsibility of providing care to them. This is a bit of that oddity of polygyny, of having more more than one wife. The sons of Jacob were twelve, and so we get a summary recap of all twelve boys, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. It's mentioned that they were born to him in Padan Aram. In order to make that work, we simply have to consider Benjamin born to Jacob before he made it home. 
So Padanaram and the journey that it encompassed. Benjamin's born on the road. Lastly, we see Jacob returns home. He finally makes it the 20 plus years, because it's 20 with Laban and Haran, than however long he had spent in Sukkoth and Shechem. It's been over 20 years. But he makes it back to the city of many names, Mamre, Kiriath Arba, which means city of four, Hebron, which is about an association. And his father dies. Now, we're not told that that's immediate. This is just a summary again. Isaac dies at 180 years of age. Remember in chapter 27 when he thought he was dying? That was over 20 years before. Well, he finally does. He beats Abraham, his father, who lived 175. Genesis 6, verse 3, God had set the limit to the life of man to 120 years. And a few men after it outpace it. But once we fall under, we don't crop back up again. There are only four more men to come. Jacob, 147. Levi, and one of his descendants, Amram, 137. And Kohath, another of Levi's descendants, at 133. This is a question for our kids, because Isaac thought he was dying and didn't. Rebecca didn't think she was dying, and she did. Do we know the length of our days? This helps us to emphasize the idea that every day that we have is a gift from God. And we thank him for it. His mercies are new every morning. We thank him for that too. But also the words of Paul in Philippians, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. So our focus is not on me, but what God has given us to do, the purpose he has laid before us, that we are to love God and love our neighbor. We are to glorify Christ in all that we do. Such a question can help you focus on those ideals. His sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So despite Jacob's ongoing deceit, Jacob and Esau together again. Let us praise the Lord incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died.